Hello and welcome to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and today we take a look at investing in cryptocurrency in 2019. After the boom in late 2017 and crash in 2018, are cryptocurrencies making a return to prominence? I'm joined in studio to help solve the mystery of cryptocurrency by U.S. News senior investing reporter John Devine. John, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So before we get into cryptocurrency today, can you briefly go over its history? I mean, cryptocurrency made headlines and had those huge increases in late 2017, but this was not something that just sprung up two years ago, right? It's been around for, for much longer than that. Yeah, a bit longer than that. I mean, it's only been around for in its current form for about 10 years. Uh, there are more primitive versions, as I understand it, uh, decades ago. But really, Bitcoin was the first decentralized cryptocurrency to hit the market. That happened in 2009. And there was a white paper by a guy, gal, or a group of people called uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, it's a very famous white paper that describes the Bitcoin um, protocol and uh, how it would work, uh, the, the ledger and blockchain and everything. And that was in 2008 and then 2009 when Bitcoin actually came to the uh, fore and other currencies followed. But yeah, it's really a pretty young asset class in terms of that. And then in 2013, it started getting a lot of attention. That's when I, I believe, first heard about it uh, because it had a huge spike in price that always gets people's attention. It went from uh, like $13 per Bitcoin to 1000 or something This was in like 2013. That. Yeah. And then things died off for a little while, and, and then they heated up right back up again a few years later. So you mentioned blockchain just for some people who are you know, extremely new to cryptocurrency, can you explain how blockchain factors in? I can try, I can try. <laughs> um, so it's known as a distributed ledger is how they refer to blockchain. Um, and it helps Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that use blockchain be decentralized. In other words, there is no Federal Reserve of Bitcoin or Central Bank of uh, Litecoin or anything. So it it is sort of, uh, what it sounds like, it's uh, a block is a block of transactions and those blocks are confirmed and executed and they have timestamps on them by other people around the world who are in this community who devote computing power to confirm these blocks of transactions. So if you wanted to send me a Bitcoin, I'd be mighty appreciative. <laughs> um, so you would have an address, I would have an address, and what these computers or people with computers would do would uh, they would see that transaction it would be within a block and they would go about confirming it so they would make sure you had a bitcoin to send they would make sure these were addresses uh, that could be you know it could be sent to uh, and from and that you weren't double sending and trying to spoof the system so anyways, and that's how mining happens. When you confirm a block of transactions, the person or people who do that get Bitcoin in this example in return. Um, and so it incentivizes the continuous creation of new Bitcoin and the, the continuous uh, success of the chain. And so the chain part of it is that each block has to reference the entire chain of, of previous blocks that have ever of all transactions that have ever occurred. And so it 
as more time goes on, it becomes harder and harder for that to be compromised. That's sort of a long explanation. It's probably not the, the best explanation, but um, it, uh, it allows, uh, the blockchain allows for uh, cryptocurrencies to be decentralized and allows for some anonymity and for some safety in there as well. And so Bitcoin, which was the, was and is the most popular cryptocurrency, exploded in value up to nearly $20,000 per Bitcoin in December of 2017. And then it saw the value drop to just over $3,000 per Bitcoin almost exactly a year later. This was sort of what, what was in the news, <laughs> probably most, most commonly. So can you explain, or has, that, has the rise and fall been explained to why it was so dramatic? It's, uh, it's a tale as old as time in uh, the financial markets. It's just, uh, the, the way I think of it uh, is it's just a, a classic boom and bust. There's way too much euphoria around it and, and lots of headlines that begat more interest in it, that begat more headlines when the, when the price continued to, to roar higher. You know, whenever you've got a currency or an asset that's going up 10% a day for a period of time, you know, that's basically unsustainable and uh, it's too good to be true. There were some headlines that were, you know, sort of retroactively applied to explaining why it, the bubble burst. And some of those had to do with regulation. Uh, you know, it, it was a huge topic and financial media could not stop covering it. And even normal media started to talk about Bitcoin and crypto all the time. And so it is a threat to um, central banks and banks themselves uh, in some ways if it gets too popular. Um, you know, having a sovereign currency is an extremely important part of an economy and it can help, you know, countries print themselves out of trouble a lot of times, uh, print new money uh, without that ability or with that ability really diminished. It, would really hurt the ability to control the economy. So China and South Korea, they started uh, really getting serious about regulation. And there was a lot of interest in Bitcoin, particularly uh, at the time in Asia. And um, yeah, everything started falling and less people, you know, volumes dropped um, and it was just compounded upon itself. But I think of it as like the tulip mania bubble back in, uh, the 1630s in, in <laughs> Holland. Uh, tulip mania is the, is the classic asset uh, spike story where, you know, everybody started accumulating tulips and paying more and more for them. And uh, eventually you could trade a tulip for a house and uh, people realized that was pretty silly. So it was bound to come down. So I think Bitcoin was bound to come down, long story short. Uh, it's hard to see what its inherent value is exactly. So People who were buying on the way up and after the hype, they got scared and, and sold out. So you had that that you know, dramatic not dramatic downfall, let's say. But then now in the past few weeks, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have seen an uptick once again, you know, with Bitcoin's increase probably being the most significant. So as of this recording, which is late April, Bitcoin's price increased 40% over the past month up to roughly $5,600 per Bitcoin. So what's, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I, I try not to ask you to look into the crystal ball and, you know, and predict the future, but what caused this surge? Is it known what caused the surge? And, and 
are there predictions as to this is the end of the surge? This is the beginning of, of that next, you know, big bubble? Or, or what do you think? Yeah, there's a, it's, it's really difficult to pinpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right about that. But there's a few different uh, catalysts that could have come into play. One big part of the surge happened in about, you know, a few hours' time or an hour's time. It went up $1,000, Bitcoin did. And when it's at, you know, around 4000 goes up to around five. That's a pretty big spike in an hour. One difficulty with ascertaining uh, answers to these sorts of questions is that it's it's unregulated. And so uh, it could have been manipulation. I mean, there's been a lot of allegations of manipulation in these markets before. It could have been a little bit of stupidity, and I'll explain that. Um, <laughs> I, I believe Bloomberg uh, ran a story for April Fool's Day that said something about a, a Bitcoin ETF being created or something. And I believe this spike happened shortly thereafter. Wow. So it, that could have been related. It, it was trending a little higher before uh, that big spike, but I think it's brought a lot of attention back to it when it crossed the $5,000 threshold and it's getting more media attention now. And uh, I think that um, could bring it back. There's also traders who trade pairs of cryptocurrencies usually like Bitcoin against, uh, I don't know, Ripple or Ethereum, and they'll, they'll bet on one currency doing better than the other. And another thing that uh, could have caused some of this uh, rise is a sh- what they call a short squeeze in Bitcoin, where people were shorting or betting against Bitcoin versus some of these other currencies, and that bet started to not do so well, and so they had to cover and cover their losses and start buying Bitcoin. So a few different options there. I'm not exactly sure, but um, I haven't heard a whole lot of pro- prognostication on on what a true value for it is and, and where it's going. Um, but um, Something to monitor. Something to monitor. At least and, until next year's April Fool's. Right. And I, I don't think this these prices are entirely unreasonable, but who am I to say? So now you've touched on this a little bit already, but you know, what, what institutions, if any, favor cryptocurrency and which are seen as opponents? I mean, or at least want to see more regulation. I mean, how do banks, federal government, financial institutions, how do they fit in to all this? Yeah. Well, for banks, it's sort of uh, the perfect nightmare if it ends up working out pretty well because, I mean, as the way banks work is they take depositors' money and they lend that out and you know, they make money on the interest. Um, when you are pooling, let's say, U.S. dollars out of your checking account or banking account to um, to buy Bitcoin, for example, or Ethereum, then that's out of the monetary system. It's just being held in, you know, a cryptocurrency wallet. And these wallets aren't banks. They, they don't lend out that cryptocurrency. So it's really being taken out of the system. So they they want to keep it in the system or, you know, be able to monetize it some some way themselves, banks do. Um, and J.P. Morgan was was famously very avidly against Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies for a little while. And they recently created their own cryptocurrency. So they're trying to get in on the game. And, you know, federal governments, they want to be able to see there's the anonymous aspect uh, that Bitcoin and many other cryptocurrencies have. And that's scary for some governments because it can mean uh, tax evasion or money laundering. 
I mean, they want to be able to tax you on, on gains even. Um, and so there's a lot of value in being able to track everything, and uh, that's not entirely possible with this. So, What type of investor should look at cryptocurrency now, in your opinion? Um, I think you should be uh, have a lot of risk tolerance. Um, realize that it is pretty speculative, and you should be in it for the long term. And there's nothing wrong with uh, a long-term investor wanting to devote a small amount percentage of their portfolio to some of these higher risk reward investments. Um, and you just have to uh, understand what you're getting into and, you know, preferably if you're in it for the long term and don't aren't a huge, you know, techno nerd, uh, tech nerd, not techno nerd. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> um, I mean, you could be a techno nerd, but... Um, it's a separate episode. Yes, yes. Not a huge tech nerd, then you should stick to the, the quote, blue chip cryptos, unquote. So, so the cryptos with the highest uh, market cap, the largest volume, um, those are the safest ones, clearly. Um, and then, you know, you're going to have day traders and stuff like that that will uh, trade the smaller ones and, and be much more speculative with it. But and Can you talk a little bit more about the risks versus the rewards? Yeah, crypto investing. obviously, as I mentioned before, it's it's not like uh, a stock where you have fundamentals behind the stock and you can, there are different ways of, of valuing it. Um, there's really no hard way to value what a coin is worth. So the primary risk is, is the price fluctuation. And then there is a small risk in uh, where you store your crypto because... Uh, there have been big security breaches in the past that were nightmares. Uh, there's the famous Mt. Gox uh, fiasco, which was an exchange, the largest Bitcoin exchange at the time. Uh, and it was hacked a number of years ago and a bunch of thousands of uh, Bitcoin disappeared, which is, became worth more and more as time went on. And uh, customers who thought that they had their own individual wallets um, were actually pooling um, their their Bitcoin and, and Mt. Gox's wallet. Um, I think that's a simple way of putting it. But um, So I would recommend having somebody who really knows what they're doing in terms of how to store it uh, if you're going to get into this. One of the rewards, of course, though, is also the price. I mean, <laughs> um, and with Bitcoin in, in particular, that's alluring because... Uh, there are only a certain number of them that can ever be created, and most of them already have been uh, created. There's about 17 and a half million in circulation right now, uh, and the final level uh, will be around 21 million. There will never be more than that in existence, and so it creates scarcity. And if you ascribe value to, to this, um, then it's going to get you know more and more valuable over time as long as that value doesn't change. So that's a way of thinking of it as a commodity or uh, asset rather than a currency, strictly speaking. And you sort of have to do that as an investor. You, you sort of have to take that perspective of it as being similar to gold or something if you want to, yeah, just be philosophically consistent in how you're thinking about this. So we've been talking a lot about Bitcoin. It's the most popular, obviously. But 
a lot of people may not have heard of other cryptocurrencies, or at least heard of them, but not know much about them. Ethereum, Litecoin, I mean, there's a, the list could go on and on. For someone just getting into cryptocurrency, can you explain, you know, this wide difference in options? What's one versus the other in terms of investment strategy or investment risk? Right. It's a good point. Uh, Ethereum is the blue chip crypto for smart contracts, which, um, you know, I wish I understood a little bit better, but from what I understand, they're self-executing contracts um, that are transparent, they're irreversible, they're traceable, so you could, um, you could sell bonds or complicated derivatives with these, and you would not have sort of counterparty risk, or uh, it would also reduce transaction costs. Um, as I understand it. And uh, there's huge potential in the smart contract uh, arena for, I think, you know, you can do real estate contracts, legal contracts, and they're all time stamped and, um, and visible to everybody. So neither party can mess around or try to get over on the other one. So that's one thing to pay attention to. I would say more generally, uh, there are certain coins that profess to be, um, you know, better for certain things and smart contracts being one example. And so if you are buying into a cryptocurrency because it professes to be great for this certain service or ability, look and, and look up, uh, do a quick Google machine on uh, whether there are some other cryptocurrencies that claim to do the same thing. There probably are. And if so, um, you know, probably go with one of the larger ones, one of the more heavily traded ones, and also always look at the supply limits. As I mentioned with Bitcoin, that's a big reason to get into that, and because you don't want a, a heavily diluted cryptocurrency that just constantly um, prints, for lack of a better word, more, more and more coins. So, I mean, you've really touched on, I think, my next question, but which is, you know, what are the hallmarks to look for in a strong cryptocurrency, aside from the ones you just mentioned? Is there any other thing, you know, in doing your research that you should be looking for? I did sort of get ahead of myself on that one. Um, okay. And, yeah, high market cap, um, trading volume. You don't want to be the only one trading a coin. Um, <laughs> it's sort of impossible anyways. Um, but it's all about acceptance uh, and limited supply, best-in-class functionality, and I don't think this is as big of a problem as it was recently, but there was a phenomenon of ICOs, initial coin offerings, uh, during all this hype uh, in 2018, and uh, those were rarely worth it, and the SEC had to get involved um, and start regulating um, because there were so many scams that were going on and just worthless coins that people were putting out. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of swindles that happen that way. So uh, beware of, if there are new ICOs, really be wary of those, I would say. You know, I want to talk a little bit about your own experience with cryptocurrency. I mean, you and I spoke a little bit before we started recording that you personally have invested in cryptocurrency. So, you know, how was... How has that experience been for you, and, and are you still a believer, you know, long-term? Back in 2013, I, I was an investor and am an investor. Um, I bought back in 2013 um, when I was actually doing an options trading club with uh, a few other friends of mine, and one of the guys in the club, uh, who I respect for his technical know-how, 
Um, he works at the patent office and is always sort of ahead of the curve on things like this, was ranting about uh, this new uh, currency, was trying to explain it to us and trying to get our club to, to invest in, in Bitcoin. And it turned out the third guy didn't want to do that. And, but I thought it was really interesting. And so I ended up buying in around uh, $800 uh, for, for Bitcoin um, back in 2013. Now, you know, it wasn't like I had some special insight. I trusted this friend of mine, and it was starting to get a lot of media attention because it had come up from $13. So uh, long story short, <clears throat> I, I held, and um, I actually thought that they were all lost when my computer that had the software on it was, uh, like, you know, went on the fritz, and I wow. couldn't fix it. And so then come, come 2017, uh, my dad had bought in a little bit with me because I told him about it back in 2013, and he was seeing all these headlines, and he's like, John, you really got to get those back or find a way. Like, spend a lot of time, please. <laughs> Try to find these. Um, and I did and was able to find my key and was able to retrieve those and um, sold off um, as I thought the euphoria was getting to its peak. Uh, I didn't hit the peak. I... Um, Sold off most of it by um, by the time it hit ten or eleven thousand, um, but it was you know I don't know if I would have kept if I would have held if I had not thought that they were lost. So in a way, that was a blessing in disguise. Um, I I still hold a little bit. I didn't sell everything just because you never know what the potential is with these. Um, and I, I believe I believe in holding you know a modest call option on the future of cryptocurrencies and the, the need to diversify with just a little bit of my money um, in 2013 was rewarded. So I, I think that in general, it's uh, okay to do that. And so looking forward, you know, what would, uh, what would you need to see to get more confidence in crypto to reinvest? You know, what, what events maybe would give you confidence to, to uh, you know, invest in it again aggressively? Right. Well, I would like to see um, much wider adoption and acceptance of, of any crypto currency going forward. It's always good. Um, but it's a catch-22 because in order for that to happen in a way, you sort of need price stability as well. I mean, if you want to be able to go down to 7-Eleven and buy a slushie with Bitcoin, 7-Eleven uh, isn't going to want to accept Bitcoin if you know the next day it's worth 50% less. So uh, that's why I say that you do need to think about it as a, uh, as a commodity, as an asset, as a sort of uh, analog to gold. Um, but so that's a, a little bit of a catch-22. But I do think wider adoption and acceptance is, can only be good. And I think that hit products, services, apps, or tools are, are going to come um, and perhaps uh, going to come pretty quickly uh, in, in the cryptocurrency area. And th those will get many more laymen using uh, currency, uh, cryptocurrency. So I think that will be great. I don't know when that's going to happen. I just know that lots of people are, you know, a year later uh, after the peak are still heads down working really hard on some uh, great products and tools. I think one of the biggest issues that you've talked about and the theme that's come up is safety, you know, yeah. over and over <laughs> again. Uh, where should one go 
today to s safely buy cryptocurrency? I mean, is this something worth discussing with your financial advisor? Are you going to be hard pressed to find any financial advisor who's going to recommend it at this point? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that could be the case. Um, but sure, I think it's, it's worth discussing with a financial advisor, uh, certainly. Uh, if you're dead set on buying into crypto, um, I do think you should have a good understanding of it, um, of the coin that you're buying, and uh, think that you should, uh, you know, use a family member or uh, or a financial advisor that is uh, familiar with how to buy these things safely, how to store them safely, and how to um, sell them if you if you want to sell them or need to sell them quickly. And so you can do that uh, yourself with some self-education, or you know find somebody that knows how to do it. Coinbase is one uh, really popular exchange, uh, the most popular exchange that I know of in the US. And it's an online, online exchange where you can buy all sorts of coins, not just Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin. So yeah, that's what I'd say. And as we close up now, in your opinion, what are some good resources for people who want to learn more about cryptocurrency, get more comfortable with it, more familiar with it in terms of you know, eventually maybe being able to, to invest in it. Yeah. Surprisingly, Reddit can have uh, some good threads on this. There's a very active cryptocurrency uh, community there. Uh, the Khan Academy has some great videos on uh, crypto and Bitcoin and, and how they actually work. And um, I mean, it has great videos on many other topics too, but I like those because they're, they're, um, they're simple, they're, they're short, and they're sort of illustrated and, and told in easy term, so it's easy for the layman, such as myself, to understand. Um, but the Satoshi white paper would be the last place, I'd <laughs> say, if you really want to get in the weeds. Go to the beginning. Yes, go to the <laughs> beginning uh, and just Google Satoshi white paper, and it's it's only about eight pages long. Uh, it's, a, it's pretty technical, but um, I think you can get a, a really good feeling for what it is. John, thank you for joining me and, and offering your expertise on cryptocurrency. I, I suppose time will tell how it progresses over the next few years. Uh, but you know, thank you for coming on, and we'll see you on our next investing Absolutely. episode. Absolutely. Thank you, Antonio. And thank you for listening. Check out our other episodes and go to money.usnews.com for advice, rankings, and tools on all things investing. If you have specific questions about investing you'd like answered on the show, please email us at wealthofknowledge@usnews.com try to answer a few on future episodes. Finally, please subscribe, rate, and comment on our podcast so that we can help more people make smarter decisions with their finances. I'm Antonio Barbera. Thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. See you next week.